Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to the RDL Show. It's a Friday edition of the Ryan D. Leaf Show. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the RDL Show and subscribe to the Ryan D. Leaf Show on YouTube. Listen via podcast on the Believe Podcasting Networks. Follow us, hashtag RDL Show. Big show today, friend of mine, Diana Russini from ESPN, all things NFL, is going to join us. She was really boots on the ground in Tennessee over this Julio Jones trade has a very interesting story about breaking the story uh, and being there for the last couple of days as this took place. Excited to talk to her. I haven't seen her in a long time. Pre-pandemic uh, was the last time her and I got to spend any time together. So I'm looking forward to that. She'll join us at the top of the hour to talk to all things NFL. I'm going to start the show here and we'll bring in Jonathan and Sky a little bit later to discuss everything else. But over the past couple of days, uh, the name, image, and likeness uh, dialogue has heated up because we've seen uh, congressional hearings up on the Hill about this in the federal bill that is going to be uh, hopefully distributed throughout the United States. As of right now, there's going to be about six states that are going to put it into, uh, into law come July 1st, which would put you at a quite, quite a bit of a strategic advantage if you are in one of those states in terms of how you recruit. Because if you're able to walk into a, a family's home while recruiting a young man or woman or anybody and talk to them about how our state allows for you to earn money uh, because of your name, image, and likeness, that constitutes a very real advantage in the recruiting battle. So these, these conversations, these meetings uh, on Capitol Hill in Congress uh, are really important because as the NCAA wants, they want a overlying uh, rule to this. Now, there cannot be any, it has to be uncapped. You can't think that you're going to put restrictions on things here or there. That is just uh, what they've uh, essentially done forever with the NCAA, capping everything that uh, that is allowed. I, I expect uh, it to be uh, feared among many coaches, as a lot of them have talked about. Mark Few spoke at the uh, at the meetings and discussed how it was going to leave him at a very strategic advantage or disadvantage, one that he has found a way to overcome in his recruiting battle, how he's recruited through the portal, how he's recruited overseas, how he's recruited studs 
to um, to Gonzaga University in little rural uh, Spokane, Washington, in the eastern side of the state there. So it should be very interesting. The fear of this, I think, is what is overwhelming for everybody else. Everybody fears change. That's that's just existed forever. We've always done things a certain way, therefore that's the way to do it. And that's not the truth, right? Things evolve. Uh, the, the history of our country is, is incredibly complicated and incredibly um, difficult to talk about, but there's been change and there continues, continues to be change and need for change and everything like that. When you're dealing with Naomi Osaka and, and dealing with people's mental health, that was never existed, right? The idea uh, 25 years ago when I was playing college football and I was a Heisman Trophy candidate and going to be the you know, first or second overall pick in the NFL draft, I didn't think about what, uh, what college football games, uh, video games that were being played and using my likeness or the jerseys being sold in the bookstore of mine had anything to do with me. I just thought it was pretty cool, uh, as most people did. We weren't thinking about the money that was being made off our name, image, and likeness. I just wanted to play football. I just wanted to play sports. And it was really cool to have my likeness on a video game or my jersey in a bookstore. Now that changes, right? More advocacy for players' rights and understanding, especially those who come from low income uh, situations and families into a place where they make millions and possibly billions of dollars for these universities and are not compensated other than an education, a scholarship. Now, I never, ever want to denounce or diminish at all getting a free education. I help pay for my brother's uh, education at San Diego State. I know how expensive it is, what that looks like. So I never want to take it for granted that I got a free education for playing football, okay? That is something. And I think playing football or playing basketball or whatever you do and getting a free education in exchange is well worthwhile. What we are talking about here is your name, your image, and your likeness, okay? Those are two separate things. That's different from you stepping on a football field or on a basketball court to play for the university. You are being compensated for that. You are giving a stipend each month. You are giving a free education, your books, your room, your board, paid for through that process because of a scholarship. And I think that's well worthwhile in a quid pro quo. Now. What we're talking about is the NIL, okay? What's being discussed in Congress and what's being discussed everywhere else around all of this is about your name and image and likeness. Now, I like to go to Jeremy Bloom, who's a friend of mine who played for the University of Colorado, who was a world-renowned downhill mogul skier, okay? He was extremely special. He was an Olympian. Uh, He was told by the NCAA, you have to pick one. You either have to compete in the Olympics and be able to... uh, take money from sponsorship, or you have to throw that away and play college football and not be compensated for it anyway, shape or form. They made him make a unmakeable kind of decision, one that he's had to carry for so long. He's recently talked about quite a bit of it. He had to give up his junior and senior year of playing collegiate football at the University of Colorado simply because he wanted to be an Olympian. He wanted to compete in the Olympics and try to be one of the best in the world, okay? He documents the US UCF kicker down in Central Florida who started a YouTube page. And as you guys know, as this show is on YouTube, you get to a certain point with a certain amount of followers and subscribers 
you can start monetizing it. There's an algorithm that allows you to advertise and, and monetize it and make some money. Well, his YouTube channel got rather large and his ability to monetize was substantial. And the NCAA and the University of Central Florida came to him and said, hey, you have to make a choice, similar to what they did with Jeremy Bloom. You have to either quit your YouTube channel and stop making money off it, or you're gonna lose your scholarship and be ineligible. And you have to make that decision now before you leave the building. So he didn't get to discuss it with family or anybody at all. What he had to do is say, ah, mark me ineligible then. You know, I, I get to be creative um, and I make a living. You know, I can make a, a reasonable living doing this. And every other student on campus can do that unless you are a student athlete. This is what we're talking about. And I really do think the name, image, and likeness thing is going to be more around that, that stuff, more around social media, more around doing things through that to monetize your platform to make money where anybody else can. So anybody else who starts a TikTok account who can go on and make millions and millions of dollars doing that on TikTok should be a, a viable option for an athlete whose stock, whose platform may never be higher than when it is in college, right? 1% of the 1% of the 1% get to the NFL, get to the NBA, okay? So you're most likely not going to be able to monetize that. At the collegiate level, when you probably have the best chance to do so, you're not allowed to. This, of course, is going to change. This is, going, this is inevitable. It's been passed, like I said, in six states. It's going to pass. It's going to be a national thing. And organizations and colleges have to be ready for what that looks like. Athletic programs are going to, departments are going to be making less money because some of the money now is going to be directly pocketed into the student athletes' hands. And I think that's rightfully so. I don't believe this is going to be something that destroys college football or college basketball. I think it's going to actually make things a little more transparent. And I also think that it's going to allow someone like my alma mater, Washington State, to actually level the playing field a little bit and get in on the mix with some of these types of five stars that would rather go to Alabama, simply because they can sell. Nick Rolovich, the head coach at Washington State, can sell to a five star. You can go to Alabama and be with five, 10 more five stars where the, the name, image, and likeness money is distributed, distributed evenly around everything. But at Washington State, you could come up and be a, a, a big fish in a small pond, whereas you would be the only five-star guy. Therefore, the local car dealership wants a sponsor, uh, wants to sponsor you and make you kind of the ambassador. And now you have more of a chance to make a better living and be a college football star at a smaller university. So I do think there's some opportunities to level the playing field in terms of recruiting. So you believe that one place is going to have a recruiting advantage. Well, that already exists. Facilities, boosters, those types of things. I'm sure there's going to be a, a way to try to manipulate how that goes about, how boosters can get involved. But most boosters are very, very good businessmen. The reason why they have a lot of money in place is simply because they are good businessmen. They are not going to invest in a 17-year-old kid who's not, who hasn't done anything. That is just bad business, right? You want to see somebody who's been able to contribute so there may be something that actually comes on down the line, but there's going to be a way to manipulate anything. That's just how it works. College football has been the foundation of corrupt behavior for I don't know how long, as well as uh, as well as NCAA basketball. So it'll be very interesting to see what this looks like. We on the show have talked about the NCAA and their inability to function on a, at, at a level that needs to be done. And, and frankly, 
I feel like that, that the NCAA could be something that is completely out of uh, our realm of thinking here in a matter of five, ten years. We'll see. I'm going to welcome in uh, my co-hosts here, Jonathan Rifkin and Sky Guasco, here to talk about it. I know, Jonathan, you're itching to respond, I believe, is what you wrote in the comments here. <laughs> Are you giving away our behind-the-scenes chat? Oh, I need to be careful here what I say. Talk to us um, a little bit about um, uh, what you think. Uh, and how this is is playing out in real time sure. uh, during your time as uh, as somebody who was in college and is now out covering it. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of fluff. Like you, there's a lot of fluff, and because people just need to rationalize however it is that they feel. Whether you're against it, most of those people are old white men, or whether you're for it. Um, now there are some media members. I don't want to pigeonhole all of the people against this idea as old white men, but that seems to be the general demographic of and why. Well, tradition. I get it. Like we understand why people view a certain way that they do. If once you get to know them a little bit in this world, like it's not it's not math. It's not rocket science. Like we're all people. We also sort of have this out this basic structure, and then we fill it in with whatever is meaningful to us. Um, but I what what I think is really interesting, Ryan is. What's the most pay, highest paying job, right, in college, a college student can get? Working as a researcher for a science lab. Why is that the highest paying job? Because science makes money for these universities. When they go out and they make breakthroughs, when they go and they get grants, when they go out and they, you know, they partner with other universities, they're bringing in all this money. They hire students to come do the research. So these students are being rewarded for research, the work that they're doing, because the work that they're doing is making money for the university. Okay, so let's take this theory and move it over to college athletics. Same exact thing, okay? College athletics makes the universities money. These athletes put in the work just like, you know, a researcher in a science lab would be or just like a researcher in a PR lab or a journalism lab or a business school, whatever, like analytics. Like it's all sort of in the same umbrella. These athletes, just because they play a sport, I mean, scientists lose lose calories sitting there thinking all the time right like it's a it's a mental sport it's it's different but it's not different because the structure is viewed as the same from the collegiate level except that the athletes don't get compensated for it and so if if we're really going to look at these student athletes as students which is the case for people against this they'll go look at the other students all these other students make money for the unit if you go and you work in the dorm right you go work and you you get a, a job as a like you're a cashier at a dorm um, cafeteria or resident or a resident advisor. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. When you sit there, Ryan, and you swipe every time you swipe somebody's card, every time somebody gets you points, you're making money for the university and they are in return paying you for your efforts, whether it's minimum wage, whether it's, you know, work study, whatever, right? You, there are ways to get a free education without being an athlete. And that is to go and work. So why is it that the standard is different for student athletes than regular students who go out and make money for the university and other facets? But all of a sudden now, we're against student-athletes getting paid because of the student aspect. But the student aspect, the students get paid anyways. It's a crazy juxtaposition. I don't think this is a conversation anymore. This is happening. What do you mean? This is happening. It's so a matter this, of time. There's, it, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, all the fluff surrounding it. Like, everything else. Like, this, is, this example is a base for why the argument that students – Student athletes should be treated as students. If you treat them as students, they should still get paid. If you treat them as athletes, they should still get paid. That should be like literally the end of the argument. And they, like, now we just have to figure out how it happens, right? And like, like you said, that's going to happen. But how is it going to happen? Is it going to happen in the way that you, Ryan Leaf, want it to happen for these student athletes, right? 
Well, I, I suspect that it's going to happen uh, in a bunch of different forms, and it cannot, like I said, it cannot be capped, right? That That's the one thing that we heard in congressional hearings this week, and, and we've heard from other people in different ways to use compliance, right? Because there's going to have to be some sort of oversight just to to, but there, but it can't be capped where somebody you. How are, do you regulate it though? How do you regulate it? It's going to be incredibly, uh, incredibly difficult. But guess what? Uh, it can be done. It can be done. There's governmental regulation in in every aspect of things, and and and, and people are going to find ways to manipulate the system, like everybody does. Bitcoin. But, oh, I'm telling you. Is that you want them to pay them in Bitcoin? No, I think that I told. I think I told you this in like our pre-show meeting the other day, like. Alabama is going to have Bitcoin in an offshore account, like $100,000 in Bitcoin in an offshore account. And they're going to go to some recruit at modern day and say, hey, we have an account. We have an account with your name on it with, you know, X amount of Bitcoin. And yeah, but Alabama like, doesn't how, how do you that. regulate that? Okay, but it's Alabama. an example. It's just an example. It's right. just an example. Right. It's going to be incredible. Okay, fine. Pick Bowling Green State University has $100,000 in, in an offshore account, right? Same situation. How do you, you can't regulate that. But Bowling Green's not going to have that either so you're um, <laughs> you're using too you're being too literal <laughs> well i know i know i'm being too literal it's just these are these are these are hypotheticals that that haven't played out yet until it does I, i'm willing to yeah well i'm willing to accept these things as we know all manipulation can take place fraud's going to exist i think it's a step in the right direction i want to get these guys compensated these women compensated for 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 them using their name i do i do believe this that the name image and likeness that universities use of these players, uh, you're not going to see as much anymore. Like you're not going to see the actual player anymore. You're just going to see somebody dressed up in a uniform uh, for all the, the marketing and the PR materials instead of actually using the players. Because ultimately at the end, there are players that, 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 that turn the needle, but it's, it's about the head coach and it's about the team. Ultimately, that's who gets paid the most uh, in, in all of this. There's a reason why Nick Saban just signed another nine-year extension to be the head coach for around $10 million a year coaching college football, Jimbo Fisher as well. All right. Well, if you are uh, going to get paid some money, uh, you athletes out there, you need to uh, try sunfair.com. All right. Change your, change your life, change your body, personalized, delivered, healthy meals. Spend that money on that. Go to sunfair.com. Once you get there, enter your information on the page. You need to select Carl Farrell as the sales representative. Select Ryan B. Leaf Show as how you heard about us. And you, too, can change your body in a matter of time. It's all about the food, everybody. What has transpired for me over the last year, I think July 3rd is when I started this diet, uh, giving these meals delivered to me. If you were in the L.A. and Phoenix area, you need to jump on that immediately. All right. Keeping in the college football realm, by the way, I'm going to make sure everybody understands this uh, The question of the day. Uh, which NFL division has the best set of quarterbacks? We'll get to those towards the end of the show, of course. Which NFL division has the best set of quarterbacks? I've been doing a, um, a segment on my NFL, Sirius XM NFL radio show called Ryan's Rankings, where I've been ranking the quarterbacks uh, in each division. And last night I did in the NFC West, which I think arguably could be the best set of quarterbacks in the NFL with Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyler Murray, and now Matthew Stafford there with the LA Rams. Very, very good. I ranked them in order of how I see uh, the division uh, in terms of quarterback rankings. So we've done a couple of those. We did the AFC West and the NFC West so far on Sirius XM NFL Radio. And so I thought I'd ask my audience, who do they think is the best division out there in terms of 
set of quarterbacks. So that's the question of the day. Um, we go on to college football. The college football playoff, this is something near and dear to Jonathan and, and mine's heart as we talk about it all the time uh, on our podcast, Believe in the Pac-12, uh, because the Pac-12 has been left out for the last three years, right? They have not been included because of the four-team playoff system. Well, uh, the committee, the board uh, had a discussion and came up with a uh, response in a way that they are going to recommend this for a change for the college football playoff system. And it is not six teams. It's not eight teams. It is 12 teams. And I think this is really, um, uh, this would really benefit the SEC. And therefore, I think they were pushing this for the most to get it to something like 12 teams because uh, uh, the, the SEC enough with the teams that they have could actually place four teams into this playoff. Um, but there were a couple, a couple interesting points, ones I would love to get your guys' take on. Um, one is the fact that the top six ranked conference champions get in. That means it's not an automatic bid for a power five conference champion. Like, um, let's say, um, the top five, the power fives get in, but, uh, let's say Oregon wins it and they're ranked 12th, right? Uh, and Memphis or UCF who are undefeated are ranked seventh and eighth in the country, this right? This is a good, that, good point, Ryan. I don't mean to cut you off. I, I, as your executive producer, I was we were missed if I didn't find a graphic for this. So, boom, look at this, boom, graphic. Hypothetical twelve-team college football playoff. If this based on last year, and guess who's left out, Ryan? Yeah, the Pac-12. Exactly what you just said. Oregon won the Pac-12 championship in the scenario you just you just laid out. Cincinnati's in there. Coastal Carolina's in there. Texas A&M is in there. Is like the fourth SEC team. Indiana? There is, Indiana's in there. There is no Pac-12 school. So Last year's kind I mean, of an uh, anomaly because of, of the fact that they had to back in. If uh, you know, but but you're exactly right. If uh, I think USC was ranked 18th at the time, if they win and are undefeated, do they actually jump up high enough to be in a position to to do you think they deserved there? it after this? To after almost like not coming back four different times late in the fourth, do you think they even deserved it? I don't think the committee would have. Put I, do, that in there. I do, I do, I, I do, and I, I felt let down uh, personally because of how poorly they played in the in the Pac-12 championship. Because I was, as you were, if you remember, I was all about going after the committee if USC is an undefeated Pac-12 champion, Power Five champion, and they weren't getting the look like Ohio State was because of the limited amount of games they were. Not getting it because of the limited amount of games. And to your point, they had to come back in some games earlier in the year. And, hey, I don't care if you have to come back. You know, teams have to come back sometimes. Is the fact that you won the football games. That's what's most important for me in all of this. So it's an interesting concept. Um, if you go back to 2019, the likes of Auburn wouldn't have got in. They had beaten the number five ranked Alabama squad. They finished 12th. But an uh, – uh, number 17 ranked Memphis team would have got in over Auburn as a conference champion and one of the higher ranked teams. So there are going to be some interesting concepts to this. I think the this is to guard against the likes of, um, you know, in 2016 when Stanford played a 8-4 USC team. Uh, if USC wins that Pac-12 championship, they're a 9-4 team. Going in, that's to protect uh, for a four-loss team to probably be in 
the college football playoff in that scenario. I, I have a proposal. I have a proposal. I want to hear it. I want to hear if, it. What if in that scenario, okay, so let's go back to this graphic. Okay, well, let's keep these teams. What if you let the conference champions that don't get into the initial seed, into the initial 12, or maybe we, we cut it to 10, and we have a play-in tournament, and then the, the next two are able to get the like 11 and 12. So, like, let's say there's like the fifth team in the in the SEC who has a great RPI, a solid SOS. They're within like the top 25, and then you have an Oregon Pac-12 champion who's still you know 14th. Well, now they can go play in the play-in game. If they win, then they add some something to their credibility that would allow them to get into the college football playoff. So almost like the March Madness model. Sky's shaking his head. Sky doesn't like it. Let's hear why. We haven't heard much from Sky. No, I just I'm giving you guys the space here. I I like I like a turn I like a tournament I like a tournament uh, atmosphere for this, but not the playing game thing. I like it in I just the think NBA. You have to reward the conference champions, no matter even if they don't get into the initial field, uh, you have to reward them. I I don't disagree, and I don't have a rebuttal on that yet. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get you on that one right now. I want to put my head around that. However. I think like I think about the NFL. I don't want to digress too much, but I have been furious since the Seattle Seahawks made the playoffs at like seven and nine or whatever it was years ago. That the and, and Washington football team last year under five hundred made the made the uh, NFL playoffs because they won their division. That's terrible. I mean, it just it doesn't seem right. In my opinion, you should have the top eight teams, period, in each conference make the playoffs, and in college football. I do like this idea that you have the six auto bids, the six at-large bids to make the 12 teams. I like 12 teams. That feels comfortable to me. One suggestion that I found online that I really like is having the top four teams. So they make the example of 2019. Last year was kind of a wash. COVID, teams played half a season. It, we'll just throw out 2020. 2019, it was the LSU year. They ran everybody, Joe Burrow, and legendary season, whatever. They ranked those top 12 teams and what it meant was LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma were the top four teams. Those are the teams that were in the playoff in 2019. In this model of 12 teams, those four teams would have a bye. So they would take a week off. They've, they've won that extra week. The next eight teams play in, Jonathan, if you want to think of it this way, the play-in tournament. They play each other, and the winner of each of those then ranks out and plays the next level and whoever they're most accordant with. Uh, in those top four, you play another week, and then it files down to the semifinals, and you get your championship. So I like that model personally. It is interesting that the 10 commissioners from the conferences and Notre Dame president have come together to do this. And just like the NIL, which Ryan just talked about, in my opinion, this isn't a matter of if it'll happen. This is really at this point that it's got this far. They went from two teams to four teams. Six and eight might happen, but I think 12 – feels good. You're going to have more teams, more fan bases. BYU's. Um, I'm thinking of TCU say, do BYU been in the mix. Do, do BYU and Notre Dame have to join conferences with this structure? I think it, 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 it will have It will have them. to happen when Notre Dame finishes number one or number two in the country and doesn't get a bye. That's when they'll have to go, oh, okay, this. Yeah. we have an undefeated team. We are the number two ranked team in the country, and now we have to go – uh, you know, we have to host a, a play, a essential first round game yeah. of the college football playoff instead of having to buy and, uh, and, and be in that position that that will have to happen until that happens. Um, you know, the game essentially for them as the first round will be a conference championship game. I like it because it allows for these, these quote unquote bubble teams we've seen over the last seven years of the playoff or the nine years of the playoff, um, the Cincinnati's, the TCU's and things 
get an opportunity. Ryan, let's transition. I want that to be the case. I truly do. Um, and that's why I think we need it in terms of, you know, what that will look like, because it may still be Alabama and Clemson or Alabama and Ohio State um, to play for the national championship, ultimately, because they're the best two teams in the country. But you're going to keep the fan bases engaged. You're going to keep them around. And when that Tuesday happens on ESPN and they announce teams one through 25, there are going to be a hell of a lot more fan bases that are still engaged until the end of the season. So let's transition a little bit to the NFL. I want to welcome on uh, my friend, uh, ESPN football insider, Diana Rossini, who has been all over this tennis. I mean, not, not just all over, but I want to hear the story around how this story broke. And welcome to the RDL show, Diana. It's good to see you again. Hi, Ryan. It's so good to be here. Yeah, I, I, it, whenever everyone's kind of discussing this Julio Jones and Tennessee Titans situation, um, I never come off like a reporter. I come across like a psycho. So, <laughs> like, I want to share with your listeners and viewers that I guess I am psycho. So, it's good to be here. I hope you guys are, too. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the story broke, right? And uh, you knew it was coming down the pike, but you were... Uh, otherwise engaged. You want to talk to us a little bit about what was going on and how you maintained the integrity to, to break this story whenever you did? Yeah, and you know how it goes. You guys all followed along on social media to see how competitive it is to break a story. And while it's stupid, it's just a transaction. Uh, I love breaking news. It's so competitive. It's fun. Um, and so when I originally found out that Atlanta was open to I think that's when the obsession started. I was like, I even told Shepard, I'm like, I want to break this one. I don't know what it was. I just wanted it. <laughs> so I have been just really entrenched in it um, since the draft. And, you know, have dealt with, I think, every team in the league because the amount of times I text them. Um, but here's the great news about when you're having so many conversations with so many different teams, you, you start having kind of a, a relationship, you know, you, you, you have a schedules that normally is they know when you're on TV. It's, it's very funny how that works. And so I, I felt reasonably comfortable to share with some of the sources that I had this bachelorette party in Atlantic city and, you know, <laughs> nothing comes right. That, that I should say that I should preface it with nothing gets in the way, but I wanted to have some fun. You know, I didn't want to have to be on my phone the whole time. So I just said, Hey, is this thing going to go down? I'm going to be an AC. I love roulette. I'm going to, you can't have your cell phone at the table. <laughs> you know? So I think they thought that was like my way of saying I was going to be at the clubs, like dancing and hanging out, but that wasn't it. I promise. It was really just cause I like to get. So, uh, fortunately they gave me the wrong information it was like, don't worry, it's really slowed down. Next week it'll pick up. I'm like, all right, cool. So I put my phone away. And then when I was on the roulette table, I played Black 11 and it hit. <laughs> and I was like, no, that means something. And so, and it did because I started to text people. And it was really late on Saturday night. They're like, this thing is going down tomorrow. I'm like, oh my gosh. I never went to bed. I stayed up all night long. Um, and then, Finally, it was like 
at the five yard line. And I'm si I, I have it ready to go. It's in my phone. I'm ready to tweet it, but you have to wait. Like that's it's just the rules, you know? And uh, Schefter's calling me every 30 seconds. Let's go! I can't go until I get the green light. And then we got it. And uh, the bachelorette party had no idea what was going on. They just saw me on my phone running around. Uh, and, it, and it all worked out. Now Julio has a new home. Do they even, I mean, it's a bachelorette party. Do they knew what, do they really even know too much about football and what you're, what you're doing for a living in that, in that process? They do. And it's funny. My sister-in-law, Karen was next to me all weekend and she doesn't, she's a big Eagles fan and she'll, her husband and, and, and my husband really, and our family just talking about the Eagles all the time, but she doesn't really know anything. But I had her Googling so many different things because I was just trying to, I was trying to look up like salary cap stuff. And um, there was a that I knew had some salary problems. So I was, I just had her Googling things. And by the end of the weekend, Karen could come on the show right now, Ryan, and probably <laughs> tell you how this trade went down and uh, why she thinks the Titans offense um, is going to take a big step forward despite the fact that they're a run first offense, which all the all that wording would would probably uh, confuse her a week ago, but 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 she knows what it is now. It makes sense to her now. It, well, and guess what? It's it's grown on me too. I was I was looking for different ways for them to you know shift some cap around in Atlanta, especially from the defensive side where they get to keep Julio because Arthur Smith and Julio Jones and that offense would have been impactful and they're going to have to score a ton of points because their defense is is, is bad yeah. but the more i've looked at it with what exactly like you said there they run the ball first they have probably the best running back and the most efficient running game in the nfl you add a weapon like julio jones now don't get me wrong Corey davis had a great year but he's not julio jones and if julio jones is able to stay healthy defensive coordinators are going to have so many sleepless nights preparing for this team week in, week out, if those two guys out on the perimeter can stay healthy. Yeah, I was actually for Julio's first practice with the team. And granted, it was voluntary, but he showed up, which we could talk about that. I, I thought that was the most impactful thing he's done. Because um, that just told me that he's trying to get this coaching teammates and everyone that's part of this Titans organization to buy in that he's here to play and he's serious. And yes, he's Julio Jones, a future Hall of Famer, but he's willing to learn about what he, and he said that to us. He said, there's only one way you can learn about a culture and you gotta be around it. And it was important for me to be here. And they were surprised he was there too, Ryan. They were, they all week long, um, I had heard the plan was he was just gonna come in Thing, meet John Robinson, meet Mike Vrabel, take a couple pictures, grab dinner at Ryan Tannehill and Anton and uh, excuse me, AJ Brown, and then fly out. Um, but he decided to come back. Like he could have showed up on Monday uh, for a physical and 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 you know mandatory mini camp next week, but that's not what he's doing. So um, I thought that was a really good start. And he, I'll use his words. This offense is now a pick your poison offense. I don't think they're going to change anything, though. I, I really don't. I, 
they they're so solid with what they are and and it works and if if they can figure out a way to utilize doesn't change the identity they're going to be really dangerous come the playoffs i think this is really where you're going to see the benefits of julio i don't think we'll see it that like look we're going to see some great stuff i think in the regular season but you remember in that playoffs Derek yeah, the the uh, the ability in that division in particular, right? Because it's really yeah. a two man race. It's really a two team race, and to win that division is going to be huge because that allows most likely for a buy or at least to host uh, the home playoff game. That's that's going to be huge for this team. Yeah, Derek was shut down against the Ravens. They they pretty much blanketed AJ. Right, so who's left? Well, Corey at the time he was dealing with, uh, he was just he just wasn't a hundred percent. He also had a lot of personal stuff going on uh, that time of year that I, I know was weighing on him. So they had a bunch of backup small receivers. Marcus Peters, you know, pushes one of the guys out, you know, off his route, comes over, and Julio Jones in there. That, that that's not happening. That's not it's happening. Like, yeah, you know, coaches tend to remember like those last brutal plays i'm not saying like that's why they signed julio but you know that was like still sitting there that play of like that that that, that, that the fact that they couldn't start stop lamar jackson's legs but um you know so far so good and, and they don't overplay things in tennessee which is what i like that's why i like covering them they're pretty much always the same they don't get too high they don't get too low um little juice in nashville there was there was excitement but Come next week, it's gonna, it's just gonna be back to the same old thing down there, and and I, I'm really excited to see what they're gonna come up with. We're speaking with uh, our special guest Diana Rossini from ESPN NFL Reporter and uh, Insider. Um, let's bounce around the NFL a little bit here. Um, you know, the big talk in New Orleans, who's gonna replace Drew Brees? There's been more of an uptick this week, uh, talking about Taysom Hill and the and the impact he's had this offseason to really focus on playing quarterback. I I tend to believe that this has always been the case. I'm sure Taysom Hill was always going into every offseason, playing a lot of quarterback, learning the position, everything like that, just knew he wasn't going to play with Drew Brees there. Is there a real quarterback competition, or is this something that's just kind of continued to stay out there until Jameis Winston can fully take it into his own? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think I think it's going to start off as a, as a competition at camp. It's going to be – It's. I think Sean Payton's really going to give this chance to both. I do think we learned a lot about Taysom. They did too. But when you reflect on just sort of Taysom's growth and his rise within the Saints organization, and he obviously has that strong connection to Peyton. And and that carries that carries all the weight. Sean Payton makes every decision there. No there's other voices, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it yep. doesn't matter. I mean, I'm talking the smallest details that go down there, Sean Payton knows about and is aware and has a say. Um, so I think Taysom's always going to have a little edge because of that, because Sean is invested in him. But that being said, I've heard a lot of really great things about Jameis from this coaching staff and from players. So it's almost like you have a head coach who's maybe in love with two people right now. You know, and and he's gonna have to see who's 
who's the better player. But I just remember stories hearing. I just remember hearing stories last year, Ryan, about this, just how good he was getting and decisive, and just all he's those. The, He's the guy that threw 30 touchdown passes and it was overshadowed because he threw 30 interceptions. That's the, that's the thing that, that continues to exist. He's a number one overall draft pick who has every bit and he's young. And we give him like zero credit. We give him zero because yeah. you're. And now he's got Sean Payton, who's most, maybe the most innovative offensive mind in the NFL. So. And, and he's, and I know last year to just clean that up and, and, and the only way you're really going to be able to clean that up is game experience, right? Is getting back out there, being in those pressure situations. But when, when when the people in New Orleans start talking about a quarterback, this that carries weight, just because I'd never heard that before. Like even when Taysom was in there, when when there wasn't other, you know, when Jameis wasn't there and it was just Taysom behind Drew, like yeah, I've heard things, but. Jameis got a lot. Uh, he yeah. had a lot of chum. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be the best quarterback competition. We'll call it this training camp. Because, and and here's the other thing too. When do we ever really have a legit one? We never do. So I think it's going to be really fun. Let's just like follow this along every day. It's, I mean, you tallies of like how many, you know, thrown interceptions, how many touchdown passes, whatever's happening at camp. You know, so I think that one's going to be without a doubt the most exciting one with maybe Mac Jones, Cam Newton right behind it. Uh, let's go on. Let's go on to the other quarterback situation. The one that everybody's been talking about since your colleague, Adam Schefter broke the news on the day of the draft, right? Aaron Rodgers continues to sit out. I, I think this couldn't be any better for Jordan Love and for the Green Bay Packers right now to get him the experience, the development time, similarly to what Aaron got to do when Brett Favre stayed down in Mississippi getting, you know, deciding on whether or not he's going to play or not. This couldn't be better for Jordan Love and his, his development. Is it a realistic thing to believe that Aaron Rodgers won't be the starting quarterback in Green Bay? Because the more and more we get closer and closer, I just don't see where he has a chance to win a championship anywhere else. This is the best opportunity. And he may, he may posture for as long as he can, but it's ultimately going to be whoever blinks first. And I just think the Green Bay Packers are holding too many of the cards right now. Yeah, which which is so interesting because when Adam broke the story, I, I thought a lot of us were all looking at it through the lens of Aaron of going, they need it, you know, he's got all the leverage. He he's the incredible quarterback. Um, but you're right, as we're this being training camp, because I don't think the Packers look the Packers want him there right now. They want him happy, but I don't think they they're. They're upset or bothered. He's not there. They don't like the distraction. I know that from having conversations with them. They they're they do not leading every show all the time. Um, but in terms of Aaron and and the realistic or or the reality of him coming back, I I I I think it it, it could happen. I think I know Green Bay does not want to trade him. Yeah. And if they're going to. You know, it, it might behoove them to, to wait another season before they do it and really gather the information and, and take a look at next year's draft picks before put it this way too, right? If, if, if he sits out, if he sits out, they don't have their quarterback. If they trade him, they don't have their quarterback. So Either they way. might as well, yeah, exactly. They might as well pick the option 
of where they can get the most conversation with the most information. Why rush it? So right. yeah, right. I think as we get closer, this could be this could heat up under Aaron's butt, and maybe he comes back. Well, I I, I will say this. I, I, I'm close with Aaron. We play golf in the off season. Uh, I wish I could get a text return from him now, so I'd be more in the know of what's going on. Yeah. But I, I think the closer and closer we get to, um, you know, game day, uh, he's going to start to look, unless more information is divulged and we learn more about the back scenes of what actually went on, he's going to look a little more and more like the petulant child in all this because he's got guys who haven't made $240 plus million playing football who want a chance at a championship, and the best chance they have is with a returning MVP to play it. We had one day of Jordan Love having a Twitter was going to have a meltdown. Yeah. And um, this was, it was two days ago when he had a great practice. And I was on a flight, actually, to Nashville. And I was reading all the beat reporters' updates online, just thinking, you've got something to watch. Because every... Aaron held every holds every card until Jordan can prove he can play. Right. But just look at the, look at the excitement from just one. And I'm not saying people don't like Aaron, but just look at the excitement from one day of what's gonna happen if he lights it up at camp. What if he takes these steps forward? And, and I'm with you on what you how you started the, the topic of talking about the Packers and in, in in regards to Jordan Love. They're appreciating this time right now he's taking all first team reps they're they're able to actually see him this is yeah. this is not but but an advantage for green bay as they as they have to just sit here and wait i uh um i want to thank uh, uh diana, uh, diana Rossini here from espn i want to bring in um uh, a couple of my colleagues uh jonathan rifkin here has a question for you sky guasco as well um about uh these are my these are my guys that do all the work for me. They, they I'm, I'm 45 years old. I don't know how to do technology. They they make everything work. So they they have a few good questions here. Jonathan, take it away. Thanks, Ryan and Diana. Awesome having you on. Really, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, well, also, Ryan, if you want Aaron Rodgers, just go tell your boy Pat McAfee. He'll get him for you. Um, yeah. I promise you. You guys oh. have the same agent. You got you'll you could get Rodgers through Pat. Um, anyways, it, it, it's interesting. You know, we talk about the idea of you know, is perception around Aaron Rodgers, that of, you know, the petulant child, is it that he has been disrespected by the Packers? Um, and obviously, everybody sort of has their feel on where they want to stand on this. But as informed media members, right, you, you know, you and your colleagues at ESPN here on the RDL show, Ryan is very good at, at looking at both sides. Um, a lot of fans don't take the side of Goody Koontz and the Packers, right? A lot of fans don't take the side of the team because we're in the player empowerment era. We're seeing it matriculate over from the NBA into the NFL. It really feels like... Um, and and if it seems like fans are, are just going to relentlessly back Aaron no matter what, to me it feels like if the Packers brand in for, terms of the GM in the front office is dragged through the mud enough, Aaron may have feel, felt like he made his point and then he rejoins the team. Because no matter what, like we can sit here and say, you know, he looks like a petulant child, but that's because you, Diana, you're amazing at going and looking at both sides. You have the sources. But most fans, they're going to just be, go based on feeling and they're going to back Aaron no matter what. Yes, to a point, though. If it starts costing them games, right? So let's say the Packers go out there and they just stink because Aaron's sitting out. They're, they're going to quick 
totally changed. Just because we started off talking about Julio, think about that. Like, Atlanta was obsessed with him. Now they're over him. I right, sorry, you're not on our team anymore. Goodbye. Like, I, my, my point being is just I think they're I think fans, while they're going to be loyal to Aaron because they know how if the team is suffering because of him, they're going to be really quick to move on. And and guys, can you imagine from just like a a national television perspective if Aaron Rodgers is sitting out. If he, just the amount of attention Green Bay is going to get, it's all we're going to do. It's all we're. Uh, I'm going to live at Lambeau, and I don't want to. And this is <laughs> that's my investment in this, or you know, the investment I don't want. But I, Aaron's history as a person too could also come into play here. With at some point, it's like. You're, you're going to have to figure out a way to make this work if you really want to stay here. Because he's got a weird, you know, when he, when he did that interview with Kenny Mayne, that's all I kept thinking was, he keeps talking about how the love for Green Bay, love for this one, love for that one. If you love everyone so much, find a way to make this work with Green Bay. That that's that was my opinion on it. That was my perspective yeah. when I saw it. I, it was, I, I haven't I haven't heard him flat out say, I you know, we haven't heard him officially say, hey, I'm not going to be there. I don't want to be there. We've heard it from sources. We've heard it from, from mouthpieces. Until I hear it from him, I believe he's going to be in the lineup opening day because it's his best chance to win a championship. It's his best chance to define a legacy a little bit better than Brett Favre's with a second championship, and it's something I think. I want to. You've been so kind with your time here. I want to ask you one more question again. Diana Rossini from ESPN joining us. Um, L.A., the L.A. Rams, Matthew Stafford, the big trade, Jared Goff, we heard some words from Sean McVay yesterday. Uh, he says they were taken out of context, but he really seemed like he's got a new pep in his step. He's got a new love. He's got a new relationship. It's so much free, so much easier. Uh, he makes comments about that yesterday at the media event. He has to come out and kind of retract it, take some things back. Where did the disconnect ultimately happen with Jared Goff, who took them to a Super Bowl just two years ago? now to a point where um, Sean McVay is just glowing because of his new quarterback love of his life. And I, I do think it was pretty telling what he did. Sean is very bright. I've covered, I've covered him for years, since his days back in Washington when he was a tight ends coach. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying. And I think he truly revealed how he felt about it. I think the... Uh, confidence that they had in Jared really started to fade last season. I'd say probably point is when, and it had, and it wasn't so much the win loss situation. I think it was just frustration, and and maybe it's a strength of of McVeigh's, and but I also think sometimes your strengths can be your weakness. Lack of patience. You know, he, he wants to win now. Heck, we've seen them do it with the way they trade uh, their first-round draft picks. Yeah. They're, 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 they're trying to get that done. And, and he, you know, came into this league with that Wonder Boy reputation already and the young, brilliant genius, and, and he had so much success so quickly. And I think as he started to realize that, that maybe this wasn't working, um, and, I, and I've heard on the from the Jared Goff side of this that 
Goff was feeling it as well. Like he was feeling the lack of confidence from his own staff during the season. That's and, so and difficult. That's so difficult. Yeah, it's so difficult when you know that your teammates and uh, and and the you know leadership reflects at, you know attitude reflects leadership, right? That's just just how it is. So um, it's it's tough to watch. I'm a big Jared Goff fan. Uh, the guy took him to a Super Bowl. I tend to look at what Sean McVay has been able to accomplish so quickly. And I think, wow, that's amazing. But then I go and go, well, he hasn't won anything either. Right. And a bunch of different coaches have gotten jobs because they've been attached to this guy. And if this guy isn't able to get over the top and win himself a championship, what's that going to say about the front offices that made these type of choices and changes to front offices and head coaching positions? It's a really interesting uh, um, process to see if this, this wager by the Rams and Sean McVay, which Matthew Stafford works out. Yeah. And, and I, I think it will be because I mean, he, like he's the, to me, he's the X factor. He, he's the star of that show. Well, yeah. the Rams have made McVay the face of them. Um, you know, if, if I was, if you were like, you had to pick one or the other, I'm, I'm going Stafford all the way. I, I love that guy. I I just love his toughness, and he's. I, I think if he can stay healthy, he's gonna. It's gonna work. And look, if, if McVeigh's given all the vibes that that he's in on it too, you know, yeah. this could work. But back to your point, like he hasn't done anything. And by the way, that's not just something you're saying. You know, coaches are so competitive; they're out of their minds. They're like high school girls um, when it comes to who gets <laughs> no. You know, like you know, it's true though. Like who gets? You know, why are you always saying that this guy's an offensive genius? What the heck is he? You know, it's just funny how they, and they pay attention to hear who, um, McVay definitely, sh um, struck a chord with a lot of the older coaches of just like, oh boy, you know, here, well, here the, the best in the business, the best in the business in the Super Bowl embarrassed him in front of the whole world. So that's, that's sitting pretty, uh, pretty close to the heart for all those guys. Diana, you've been so kind with your time. I appreciate you so much. It was so good to see your face and talk to you. Uh, I wish you the best and thank you for being a part of our show. All of you guys, thank you for having me. Um, you don't have to publicly thank me. Just you just say, look, give Rossini all the inside story when you when you come back or what you want to do, and then we'll just call it even. I'll come on every week, okay? I love it. I like it. I think it's great. We are very uh, we are a very uh, forward thinking show here, and and we love having uh, <laughs> those that can can bring the bring the scoop. So thanks again, Diana. Appreciate you. No problem, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Diana Rossini from ESPN, everybody, joining the show. I have just realized, uh, looking back at our guest list, we are so NFL women-driven, I think. Uh, all our guests are, are very knowledgeable, and I think they, pros. They, they just, they just br they're pros. They bring it better than anybody else. She's awesome. She hung with us for almost the entire second half of the show. Uh, loved having her. Diana Rossini, again, from ESPN, NFL Insider. Pay some bills, boys. Uh, Athletic Brew, everybody. Athleticbrew.com, a non-alcoholic beer that you can have without the consequences. Tastes great, less filling. Go to athleticbrew.com. You'll get 10% off your first delivery of two six-packs. Brew without compromise. Um, some of the things she had to say, you know, I, I, I think that uh, um, the more and more we talk about the Aaron Rodgers situation, the more, Jonathan, you bring into question around, you know, whether the fan base is actually really going to 
have any say in any of this uh, and is Aaron ever going to feel the pressure of being or looking like a petulant child I loved her point around hey if he does decide to sit out and they go you know in the first quarter of the season they go one and three right and people are going to uh, attribute that to the fact that Aaron Rodgers the reigning MVP isn't playing because of his own choice uh you know because the team the team is, is blatantly said out loud we're not trading you you're our guy we know we want you please come back and uh Aaron's the one that's saying hey this just isn't right for me so it, it can take a turn right now to your point Jonathan it just hasn't yet because there hasn't been any consequences what if the Packers go three and one if the Packers go three and one, it will look <laughs> eerily similar to um, what the Cincinnati Bengals looked like when they drafted uh, Andy Dalton and Carson yeah. Palmer was sitting out there, and they're like, "Oh, we found a guy who can get it done." You know, it's going to be a little bit more of a struggle because he's developing. He's going to make some mistakes, but guess what, Aaron? Um, this guy's got a chance of winning the championship, and uh, because this team is so good, so. If he can play, if he can go, like what we saw in the last few days of Twitter in terms of him having great practices in, in helmet and shorts, which is hyperbolic, of course. But, I mean, <laughs> we saw the response from people like, oh, man, Jordan Love looked good. He looked really good. Well, I would look good in shorts and a helmet. I, I know I would. I know I would. Put me in, in pads and, a, uh, and, uh, and bring the blitz um, from guys. I'm not going to look good. It's going to look much different. All right? So, uh, it's going to be like your food without bomb banana. That's what it's going to be like, right? It's going to be like your food with bomb banana, without bomb banana hot sauce, all right? Uh, check out these uh, new hot sauce, banana based, not banana flavored. That's huge, not to be confused. All right, hot sauce, get a little bit milder kind, and then the red bottle, Mooey Movie. Go to seekthespice.com. That's seekthespice.com, all one word. And today you can receive 10% off your first order by using the promo code LEAF. That's L-E-A-F, like on a tree. All righty. Uh, let's go to the question of the day, which was which division had the best quarterback play, set of quarterbacks. Um, Guy uh, Sky really felt like it was the NFC West, just like uh, what I went through on NFL radio last night. It's hard to uh, argue with that with Russell Wilson for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo with the addition of Trey Lance this offseason in the draft, yep. the San Francisco 49ers, Kyler Murray with the Arizona Cardinals, and, and Matthew Stafford, who we just talked about, uh, and the L.A. Rams. All right. Um, I, I would probably agree. It'd be, I'd be hard-pressed to find another division that has uh, such a solid quarterback play. Um, AFC North. Mean, AFC North, Lamar Jackson, Ben Roethlisberger, Joe Burrow, um, Baker Mayfield. That's that's decent. That's Pretty a decent good. one. Yeah. Um, I do like the uh, um, uh, I do like the AFC West. What that's becoming. I think Derek Carr's a, a, a heck of a quarterback. Uh, Justin Herbert's entering the mix, and of course Patrick Mahomes. That's a that's a solid division as well. See if Drew Locke can be something special this year in year three. But uh, um, I, I'm probably going to go with the uh, NFC West, uh, just like we talked about. I think just right now. With the addition of Matthew Stafford, uh, I think Kyler Murray and that that crew in year three really takes a step forward. Uh, we know what Russell Wilson can do, and I just, I just I feel a Jimmy Garoppolo type season that's coming on with Kyle Shanahan and the defense that is back uh, to being as dominant as they were. I, I feel like this could be an unbelievable division. The fact that they all have to play each other uh, may knock them down a peg because they're all going to be beat up on each other, 
which has happened in the past. We'll see how that plays out. Um, I want to thank Diana Rossini once again. Awesome, awesome fellow colleague there at ESPN when I was there a couple years ago. Boy, she is in the know. Uh, I like how she says you develop these relationships and uh, you're up all night uh, trying to break stories. I mean, she's competing with Adam Schefter, who's the best in the business. So I want to thank her again for being a part of it. Everybody out there, follow us, hashtag RDL show on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us at at the RDL show and subscribe to our YouTube channel. YouTube channel. You can listen to us on our podcast network, the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back Monday with a little bit more for your summer pleasures. All right, boys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.